Could you turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 1? Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 46 to 55. This is the word of the Lord. It says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation he has shown strength with his arm, and he scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Would you pray with me? So Lord, as we come to this passage, I, I pray that you would help us to hear the counsel of a very young girl, but it's the counsel of your Holy Spirit that was working through her. Lord, I thank you for this word. I thank you for the praise and the person and the proclamation that is here. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn about you, help us to learn about what you've done for us. And help us to bring glory and honor to your matchless name. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen. You know, I find that uh, Christmas time is a uh, time of great despair uh, for so many people. So many people go through times of depression. So many times people go through times of loneliness. You know, it's this holiday season. It starts at Thanksgiving and it works its way through where people feel very lonely. They, they don't have their families for some of us or you live very far away from your families or maybe you've been estranged from your family and you're, you're feeling pretty lonely. Uh, for some of us, this time is a time of great loss where you have lost loved ones. Maybe those have passed on or maybe broken relationships. And, and the holidays aren't a happy time for you. It's a time where you go through great pain and great difficulty. Uh, for some of us, it hurts. Uh, we remember uh, things from our past and, and the hurts and pains from our past. And, and to go through this, we just relive it again and again. And for some people, they just want to get through Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's and get into January. Uh, for some of us, it's, it's broken dreams. Uh, maybe those family past, those memories, those traditions in the past have been, have been so great and now we don't have that today. And I, I don't know if you're feeling like that at all. I often hear people who struggle with this time. And I think part of the reason is that people make Christmas especially about, about people. And it's great to gather with other people, and it's great to be in a fellowship. I, I love sitting in church and hearing God's Word sung and God's Word preached um, at Christmas time, there, well, all the time, but uh, it's not primarily about people. And, and some people make the mistake that Christmas is about parties or, or profits. You know, I, I hear somebody saying, I'm going to get my bonus, my Christmas bonus, and, and they make it about that. Um, 
or maybe it's a place. And, and it can be a very fun time of the year, but if we miss the focus of this time, we miss everything. And so I think part of the reason why this time of the year is so difficult for people is that they've missed the real focus of this time. So, so this morning what I would like to do is to spend some time meditating on a song. The song is called the Magnificat. And the song is from this young girl, Mary. Mary may have been 13, 14, 15 years old. A, a young girl who, who knew the word and she loved the word and the word came out of her. And let me just give you a little bit of a context of what had happened. Uh, in the beginning of Luke, we see two older people, Elizabeth and Zacharias. And they're older people, uh, and they are barren. She is barren. They have not been able to have any children, and, and they're really struggling uh, with the fact that they haven't any children. But, you know, they've gone off into their lives. And Zacharias is a priest, and twice a year he has to serve in the temple. Um, and Zacharias is um, doing his dutiful work, and so is Elizabeth. They are they're God-loving people, but they have, they have this gap that is there. They don't have a child. And on one of these occasions, the prophet Gabriel came to Zacharias and said that you are going to have a son. Blew his mind. He didn't believe it at first, but, but he was going to come to his wife Elizabeth in her old age and she was going to have a child. Well, a little bit later on, the same, uh, same angel is going to go to Mary. Mary is not an old woman who's barren, but she's a young woman who has never been with another man. She's a virgin. And, and God, uh, through the angel, has said that we are going to give you a son. And she's like, I don't get it. I've never been with a man. And, she, and the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And these children of promise, these two lowly women, they're nothing very special. They're, they're not going to be held up in the annals of history outside of the scriptures. They're lonely women, but they were trusting in the providence of God. They, they heard this visitation. They received a visitation from the angel, and this angel came to them and said, you have been chosen to bear a child. Elizabeth's child would be John the Baptist, the last and the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. It's been 400 years of silence. God has not spoken at all to his nation in 400 years. I mean, that is silence. It's darkness in Israel. And they're waiting for this Messiah to come. And John the Baptist is going to be the last of the Old Testament prophets. And then Jesus Christ, who is going to be the child of Mary, is going to be the Lord of this new covenant. Well, what we find in, in um, Luke is that Mary, who lives about 75 miles away, um, goes to um, visit with Elizabeth. And I think part of the reason is this. Now, I, I need you to understand, in our culture, um, people who are unmarried and are pregnant happen a lot in our culture. But in this culture, that would have been extremely, I mean, attacked. Um, she would have been under great uh, insinuations. Her character would be scandalized. You, judgment of others. People would have looked at her. On top of that, not only was she a virgin who was supposedly with child, but she was espoused or engaged, a stronger form of our engagement, to another man. And so now Joseph is placed in a position that her, this person that he is basically married to, they called them husband and wives at the time, 
is now pregnant, and I know that I'm not the father of this child. And, and the scorn that she's going to receive, the dishonor, the suspicions of Joseph are going to be heavy upon this young girl. And can you imagine what she was going through? I don't know how you would have responded when an angel came to you and completely changed your plans, completely turned your plans for life upside down. For, for most of us, when we go through that, we, we have the, some level of unbelief, and that's what um, Zacharias had. He had unbelief. That I, I don't believe this can happen, but, but Mary didn't respond that way. For some of us, when God changes our plans, we have fear. Or when God changes our plans, for some of us, we have great anger and frustration. We're disillusioned. How do you handle it when God changes your plans? How did Mary respond in the midst of this? What amazes me about Mary is that she sang. She sang. She praised God. She trusted Him. That is what Mary did when her plans were changed. And I want you to think of three points this morning, simply three points. I want you to think about the fact that Christmas is about praise, number one. Second, I want you to think about Christmas is about a person, God, number two. And then third, I want you to think about this, Christmas is about a proclamation, number three. So it is about praise, it is about a person, it's about a proclamation. So why don't we get started here? So after Mary has visited with Elizabeth, um, Elizabeth has this praise that she offers about Mary and about this baby that is um, in her womb and that the mother of my Lord is here. And now, now Mary breaks out in this praise that we just read. And let's go back to Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. That's where we get the word magnificat from, if, if you're familiar with that. In Latin, magnified would mean magnificat. So, my soul magnifies the Lord. I need you to know that praise has to be personal. See, we come together as a corporate body of believers, but, but you need to be personally, deeply entrenched in who God is. This has to be about you. You could sing and mouth the words, but it is about you deep in your heart. You can see here that Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Do you hear it? See, Christmas must be about praise, and praise must be personal. This Christmas season, I, I pray that you would be personally connected with God, that God is doing something, has done something in your life, and that you hear the story from all the pain and all the problems that have happened around you. I need you to walk into this place and to hear that God has a personal relationship with me, that God looks down on you and he sees you. Your praise must be personal. It, it reminds me of the psalm, Psalm 103. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all my iniquities, who heals all my diseases, who redeems my life from destruction, who crowns me with steadfast love and tender mercies. It must be personal. So Christmas is about praise, and praise must be personal, but praise must be passionate. No willy-nilly, milk-toast, blah, superficial, ma 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 That's not what praise is. 
praises where it goes deep in your heart. He, he says here, she says here, my soul magnifies, makes him big in her life. My soul rejoices, overjoyed in my life. Mary's entire being is caught up in praise for God. It's passionate. There's so many people that are going to be passionate about a football game a little bit later on, and we could get passionate about a lot of things in this world, but, but I'm talking about passion about the one God, passion about the fact that that God came to you because he loved you. That passion should just magnify. Mary is just so caught up in the fact that, God, I can't even believe, and I want to magnify you deep in my heart. I'm not thinking about the people around me. I'm not thinking about the pains of my past. I'm not thinking about the problems of my life. I'm magnifying you, Lord. I'm rejoicing in you. That is just, I mean, she's caught up. Is that what your Christmas time is? It's, it's personal. It's passionate. But, but it's, it has a proper perspective. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She recognizes her need for a Savior. And then she says this, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. My version says servant, but it actually means slave. That, that we, we don't like this word today for some reason. I'm, well, I know the historically why we don't like this word, but it's a biblical word. We have a good master, and the good master is God. And, and Mary saw himself as herself as a slave of this great master. I am your servant, God. And she humbled herself. She had a proper perspective. Praise cannot be praised unless you have a proper perspective. He who exalts himself will be what? humbled and he who humbles himself the lord will lift up mary humbled herself and that was her perspective before that that was her perspective throughout life and that's what god had done in her life that god had been working in her life as she had spent time in the word and she spent time with other believers and she spent time thinking about the god the messiah to come she had a proper perspective of who she was she didn't think highly of herself she saw God as big. There's a fourth thing I see here that our praise, Christmas is about praise. It must be personal, it must be passionate, it must be a proper perspective, but it must be practiced. There are at least 15 citations to the Old Testament in this passage, in this hymn. 15. And what amazes me about Mary is this. She didn't open her concordance and pull out a bunch of verses and then put it together in a great song all of this just poured out of her heart she knew the word she loved the word she lived the word it was just in her and it couldn't help but come out of her see as she was being pressed from the outside what came out of her was gospel what came out of her was the word what came out of her was just 15 citations from the Psalms, from the, oh, rather, um, from the prophets, but specifically, if you spend some time this week, Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2, there are so many connections to Mary's prayer and Hannah's prayer in the Old Testament. She knew it. And it just poured out of her life. So I, I guess I ask you as we get to this first section, Christmas is about praise. How's your praise life today? 
Is it focused and is it personal? Do you have a praise life with God even outside of this building? Do you ever tend to spend time singing to God outside of this building? Do you feel passionate about God outside of this building? Do you find yourself having a proper perspective about God outside this building? And is your life just pouring out the Word? That has to happen outside of this building. We come together corporately. Don't ever forsake the gathering together of this corporate body. Don't do that. But, but your worship time and your praise time must start outside of here, and it clearly did with Mary. So when the angel came to her and up, turned her life upside down, it didn't turn her life upside down because her life was fully and firmly planted on the Word of God and the person of God. So first, Christmas is about praise. Second, I want you to think about Christmas is about a person, God. She says, my soul magnifies who? The Lord. My spirit rejoices in who? God, who is my Savior. And, and Mary is so focused on this God. And she pulls out tons of characteristics. If I had hours to go through it, I would go through the, all these characteristics. But I want to just pull out a handful of characteristics that she pulls out here. Because Christmas is, has to be about a person. It's about God. She says in verse 48, for he has what? Looked on the humble estate of his servant. I want you to know that God sees you. Maybe you walk into the service and people don't know your name, they don't know your story, they don't know your, your pain, they don't know your trials, they don't know your troubles, but what I do know and I can tell you on the authority of God's word is that God sees every one of you. He knows the pains that you've had at other churches. He knows the pains that you've had in, in, in your own life. And he knows the pains that people have done to you or the things that you've done yourself. He knows everything about you. He sees you. And he looks on her, but God came to her, which just blows my mind. That, that this humble, she's not a queen, I know some churches teach that she's a queen of heaven. That's baloney. It's, um, some churches teach that she's a co-redemptrix, that she's, she's a redeemer with Christ. That is not the case at all. She knew she needed a Savior. She's not, imper she's not perfect. She hasn't been taken up into heaven by, by, um, in, uh, through enunciation. She, she is a woman just like us who's a sinner, in deficit of need of the Savior, but she knew the Scriptures. And she knew the God of those Scriptures. And she knew that that God sees her. She, she not only knows that God sees her, but he, she sees that God is a sovereign God. It says this, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, uh, your, his servant, and for behold, now in all generations he will call me blessed. Absolutely, she is blessed in the fact that this young girl became the mother of Christ. There's no doubt. And then it goes on to talk about, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. 
And he talks about his might in verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm and he scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones. He's exalted those of humble estate. There's this power and this might in God. He's done great things. See, we get so caught up in the little things of this earth and we make him so big. And we miss the big God who will make these things of this earth very, very small. So this Christmas season, I need you to hear that it is about a God who sees you and is sovereign in his might, but I also need you to hear that he is a holy God. She says here that holy is his name. It's the only characteristic of God that was raised to the third degree. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You remember that in Isaiah. God's holiness is infinite moral purity. It means he is separate. He is set apart. He is eternally separated from any degree of sin. He does not sin himself. He cannot abide or condone sin. God is holiness. He's going to respond to sin with his immutable and his eternal hatred. God hates sin. What she saw was a God who sees, a God who's sovereign in his power, and God who's separate from us in his holiness. That's the God that she sees, and that's the God that she is worshiping here at Christmas. What God are you worshiping this morning? Is your God small? Is your God, his arm is too short? He can't accomplish, he's not strong enough to deal with the struggles that you're going through? Or maybe you think that he doesn't see you or doesn't know you. I need you to know that God sees you. God is sovereign. And in his holiness, he is separate. But I need you to hear this. Christmas is not just about praise. Christmas is not just about a person. Christmas is about a proclamation. What's the proclamation? You need a Savior. See, if you miss this this Christmas season, it's not about the presents that you're going to get. It's not about the parties that you're going to attend. It's not about the profits that you will get from a check. It's not about the people that are around you. Christmas is about a proclamation, and the proclamation is that you need a Savior. And the Savior has come. The Savior has come in the one that is in this young girl's womb right now. 2,000 years ago when she is bringing this Magnificat, this baby is in her womb. And this baby is going to live a life that we can never live and die a death in our place so that we could have eternity with Him. I, I need you to know the bad news. In verses 51 through 53, it talks about God being a judge. You see here it says, He has shown strength with His arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones. He's exalted the humble of those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things. And the rich He has sent away empty. Do you see the contrast from those that are outside of God and those that are in God? Those that are outside of God are under His judgment. 
See, what happened in Genesis is that God created humanity and he gave, he, he had two people, Adam and Eve, and he brought them together in this, in this beautiful garden and he, he said, you can have the world. And he gave them his word and he gave them his, his authority. He says, do not do this, do this. He had laid it out for humanity. And Adam was set up as our federal head. It's a, it's a fancy word theologians call it. It's talking about the fact that Adam was set up as our ultimate authority. He is, he is, he is our leader and we fall under Adam. And when Adam was given a test of obedience, and Adam was called to follow God's word completely, and Satan came along the scenes and caused a questioning of God's word, a questioning of the truthfulness of God, a questioning of the goodness of God. And when, when Eve heard this, she capitulated, and so did Adam. And their disobedience and the consequent loss of God's moral image in our lives went not just from Adam, but from every person ever born to the loins of man. And we have this persistent bent of evil that resides in all of us. God had appointed Adam as the leader, our legal representative, and consequently his fall led to a depravity of all of his descendants. That is why it is so specific why Jesus needed to be born specifically by the work of the Holy Spirit in Eve's life. Because if if she had been born through Joseph, we would be in our sin and we would not be, we'd be stupid to be worshiping today. Our sin, since we have this corrupt nature that has come upon all of us, we aggravate that through our choices day after day. And I told you that God hates sin. He is a God who sees and He hates this sin can't stand it as the sins are higher than our heads our guilt has reached to heaven as rest tells us many people think that god sees our sin and just winks at it and forgives it that that god just loves you so much they elevate the love of god above the holiness of god this christmas season don't do that god is full in his character the holiness of God is so, so very important. We don't have a cross if it's not for the holiness of God. So the, the cross is God's expression to you and to me of his wrath towards our sin. He hates it. But it's also expression of his love. His holy wrath and his holy love come together at the cross. That he poured out his wrath upon his son for all of the anger and hatred he had for your sin, if you trust in him, and all of his love for you, because he, he sees you and he wants a relationship with you. And it's again that dark backdrop of God's justice, a dark backdrop of God, our sinfulness, a dark backdrop of God's holiness. We see the gospel coming forth. Because I told you that Christmas is not only about praise and it's not only about a person, it's about a proclamation. Not only the proclamation of the bad news, but it's the proclamation of, of what? Good news. Look at me in verse 50. 
I want you to hear that God saves. Saves. Verse 50. For his mercy are for those who fear him. His mercy. He, he pours out his mercy from generation to generation. His, his mercy and his grace and his kindness and his covenantal love is, is there for you. That I hate your sin, but I love you and I want a relationship with you, so I'm going to deal with your greatest problem. Simply trust my son. Simply trust my son. I want you to see the mercy of God. See, this Christmas season, it must be about the fact that God saves I want you to see this Christmas season that God is not only a God who saves, but he's a God who satisfies. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. There are a lot of churches today that are doing a lot of good things in this world, and they are trying to feed the hungry, which is so important. And a lot of churches around this world are, are digging wells so people can have clean water, which is so important. But and I don't want to minimize that, but I need to maximize the greatest need that people have is not physical. The greatest need, those churches that dig wells and feed the hungry but don't preach the gospel are not helping their people at all. The greatest issue that people have is that they're separated from God and they will stand under His judgment. And they need a way to stand under God's judgment in a right way and that God saves you by his mercy but God will fill you not just temporarily we'll go out and eat a little bit later and our stomachs will be full and then it will be empty I drink something I feel full and I will be empty you need something that will satisfy you and what Mary found was I have this thing that satisfies me so eternally he, he fills me not physically but he fills me spiritually and I wonder if you are hungry today Are you thirsty today? What have you been filling those hunger and those thirst and those cravings with? Because if you're filling with anything here on this earth, it doesn't match. It won't last. Augustine said that uh, we have these disordered loves, and he said that you will, um, these, dis these loves, these disordered or inordinate loves, will leave you hungry lonely and enslaved see the things that you go after here on this earth will leave you hungry it won't satisfy you it will leave you lonely you think it's going to bring you a crowd of people it will separate you from others and it will leave you in enslavement but mary said that the good news is that he saves and the good news is that he satisfies and the good news lastly is that he secures us he said she said this in verses 54 and 55 he has helped his servant israel in the remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers to abraham and to our offspring forever god remembers his covenant promises god promised it all the way back to genesis in genesis 3:15, god says that there is going to be a seed from a woman the only time i believe Y'all can correct me that the word seed has been connected to a woman rather a seed connected to a man that a seed is going to come from a woman that is going to crush satan's head you'll bite at his heel he'll crush your head the lord jesus christ the proclamation of the gospel genesis 3:15, went through genesis 3:15 all the way for every book of the old testament until we get to the cross 
and every book afterwards look back at what Jesus Christ did. He secures us because He's a faithful God. God does not lie. God does not stretch the truth. God does not backtrack. God never rethinks. God never has a do-over. God never, never, never fails. Ever. So this morning, this Christmas season, I need you to hear this Christmas season that the, the Christmas is about praise. That if you're just here like, oh, I don't know why I'm here, then you're missing it. Get into the Christmas spirit. Christmas is about a person, not about you. It's about a person, God. And Christmas is about a proclamation, the bad news, and then the wonderful good news, the good news of the gospel. I want you to know this, that if you are in Christ, you have been ransomed. You have been redeemed. You're in a right relationship with God. Let that so saturate your mind. You know, throughout the Scriptures, we find that when people get a proper perspective of God, they get overwhelmed with gratitude, with love, and with this sacrificial service. They just, they want to share it. They, they understand the God of judgment, but they understand because of God's mercy, I stand not condemned, I'm free. And, and they, they see this gospel message is penetrating their lives, not just to save them, but to sanctify them and change them. I pray that you be hearing that good news of the gospel, that God is at work in your life. I need you to hear, even when it goes against your plan. I bet you that if you were to ask that young girl, Mary, what's your plan? She was probably thinking, I'm going to marry Joseph, and we're going to have a lot of children, and he's going to build some things, and I'm going to raise these children, and it's going to be great. And she did get a chance to do that. But she probably would have never imagined that she would be the mother of the Messiah. God changed her plans. God exalts those who humble themselves. Mary spent her life practicing humility. This didn't just happen when the angel came. This was just part of her DNA. What's part of your DNA today? Her praise was not just emotionalism. We can, you, can, you can gin up emotion but her praise was expositional. It was deep. She knew the word. It was, it was there. It was pouring out of her life. So I wonder today, is that your God today? Is that what your Christmas is today? Can you sing with Mary today? Is that your passion today? Or are you magnifying the wrong things? There's this um, small little chorus that goes this way. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his what? Wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow what? Strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. So I don't know if you're going through a very difficult time this Christmas season. Maybe you're feeling lonely. I want you to know that God sees you. Maybe you're feeling lost. I want you to know that God's resources are greater than you can ever imagine. Maybe you're separated from a family. You have a family in God. 
Maybe you're thinking about broken dreams. God has brand new dreams for you. This Christmas season, make it about praise. Make it about a person. Make it about the proclamation of the gospel. So, Father, we praise you. And we thank you. Father, I didn't even get a chance to say it, but this girl is 13, 14, 15 years old. She knows the word so deeply. Father, I wonder how many of us at 13 or 14 or 15 would be able to quote 15 passages from the Old Testament and just pour it together in praise. How many of us who are not even 13, but 23, 33, 43, 53, 63, 73 could do that? And Father, I pray that we would not take that as a condemnation, but we'll take that as a challenge to get into your word and to get to know um, your word and know the proclamation of the gospel and know you, the person of God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, who came upon Mary to, to, to put life into her womb. Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit, who has planted life in us as well for those who have trusted in you, that you've opened our blind eyes and you've given us a new life. We praise you for that. For those of us in this room who have never trusted in Christ as the Lord and Savior, who, who will stand before God as, as a judge, not as a Savior who's merciful, I pray that this Christmas season will not pass in fact, this day will not pass without them trusting in the Lord. I pray that you would fill us, Lord, with your Son and help us to see him and savor him and just be so very thankful for what he has done for us. You've done great things, Lord. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen.